Hello, welcome back to Teacher Talk. This is Miss Bagdanov. Today's episode will be talking about Act 3 of Romeo and Juliet. Act 3 really uh, turns up the heat, as Benvolio mentions. For now, these hot days is the mad blood stirring. How fitting. It's really warm today here where we live. It's pushing 90 degrees. Well, I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Scene one of Act Three really starts off with a bang. Um, we start in the streets with Benvolio Mercutio discussing the brawl between the Montagues and the Capulets. Mercutio makes a bunch of comments about how it is in our blood to fight and kill the other if we are wronged, which brings up a really um, interesting remark and even is applicable to modern times today about how people feel like uh, if something is done wrong to them then they have you know a human right or uh, privilege rather to instill the same harm on them of course that's not that's one way of thinking Um, but Benvolio is urging Mercutio not to you know, egg Tibble on or any of the other Capulets because it just doesn't really help with anything. So, of course, Tybalt comes along. And remember, Tybalt's pretty pissed because Romeo went to the Capulet party just the night prior. Um, so, Tybalt's looking for Romeo. And so, Mercutio and Tybalt get into this brawl. They're basically uh, posturing towards one another, and Benvolio is encouraging them to talk into some private place because he doesn't want everyone to be looking on them. Benvolio says, or else depart. Here all gaze on us. Mercutio responds in a witty way. Men's eyes were made to look and let them gaze. I will not budge for no man's pleasure, I. So Tybalt and Mercutio are characters that are full of pride full of arrogance and underneath all of that I think is a bunch of insecurity and uh, you know toxic masculinity really uh, between the two of them Um, so they kind of just like one up each other Then uh, Romeo comes along, which just adds a whole other mix to this whole situation. Because, remember, Romeo is now Tybalt's cousin-in-law. Because, remember, Tybalt is Juliet's cousin. And Romeo's a Montague. So, as of the day prior, Romeo is technically married to Tybalt or sorry, (laughs) to the Capulet family. And he's related to Tybalt. So Romeo says to him when they greet, because Tybalt's pissed, he's like, you're a villain. Romeo says, villain am I none? And Tybalt responds, boy, this shall not excuse injuries that thou hast done me, therefore turn and draw. Romeo says, and so good Capulet, which name I tender as dearly as my own, be satisfied. Then Mercutio jumps in because he's like, I got to back my boy. You don't talk to him like that. Tybalt Mercutio fights. Who dies? Mercutio. Tybalt stabs him. 
then um mercutio dies in a really interesting way he's still discussing humor even while he's dying um one of the funnier puns quite morbid actually of the play is while he's dying he says ask for to me for me tomorrow and you shall find me a grave man meaning he'll be in the grave literally dead but also a sad man because he's dead um and then he curses the two families he says help me into some house benvolio or i shall faint a plague on both your houses they have made worms meat of me i have it and soundly too your houses so it, mercutio's life ends with him making fun of the situation kind of his trademark and then also going out by you know cursing the two families which brings up this whole element of fate versus free will um from the very beginning we know that romeo and Juliet are doomed to die from the prologue so is mercutio touching on that by what he's saying here um so then romeo his this impulsive romeo gets really pissed because his best friend is now dead due to Tybalt. And Romeo is self-aware enough that he knows that this is, like, the worst situation he could be in. He says, This day's black fate on more days doth depend. This but begins the woe. Others must end. So he realizes that this is a really unfortunate situation, but he takes it into his own hands to um, revenge his friend's death. You have to decide whether that's right or not. Remember, the prince has ordered that if anyone kills each other from both of these families, they will also face the death penalty. So Romeo again risks his life um, and starts to fight Tybalt and says some pretty strong things to him saying either thou or I or both must go with him go with Mercutio into the grave meanwhile Benvolio is trying to help Romeo not do not fight um but Romeo fights and he kills Tybalt and the first thing that he says is the classic line of oh I am fortune's fool meaning that he is destiny's little toy oh no let's just remember he has a body he has a mind he can act if he would like and he chooses to fight Tybalt so now we have a problem because Romeo has killed a Capulet and citizens come running up to the situation they're like oh my gosh where did this person go that killed Mercutio someone's like Mercutio killed Tybalt killed Mercutio, and now Tybalt is dead because Romeo just killed him. And Romeo runs away. Benvolio hangs back when the prince shows up and explains the whole situation. The Capulets and the Montagues show up, and they're like, he's lying. And they have this really interesting conversation about the ethics of, okay, well, if Tybalt killed Mercutio and now Tybalt is dead, does that mean that justice has been served because the person who originally killed someone is dead but every the capulet side is obviously like no because a montague still lives and a capulet is dead so 
the prince, instead of um, killing him, he says, immediately we do exile him hence, meaning he has to leave Verona. But if he is found and he hasn't been exiled yet, then that hour is his last, says the text. He says, mercy but murders, pardoning those that kill. So it's his way of offering him mercy, but also like giving him grave consequences. So a lot happens in scene one. We have two dead people, the first dead people of this famous tragedy. And we'll see what happens. Scene two deals with Juliet finding out that her newlywed husband has just killed her cousin. What a great wedding present. Not... Okay, so before the nurse comes in to tell Juliet what happened, Juliet goes on this long monologue about how eager she is to have her wedding night with her husband. She's like urging the night to come so she could be with him. And it's she says some interesting things that foreshadow the ending where she says, Give me my Romeo and when I shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars. And he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. We have, again, heavenly celestial imagery coming up. Again, we have light versus dark coming up again. Um, We have nature imagery even appearing again. All of these motifs that Shakespeare has been building upon, um, especially when Romeo and Juliet talk to one another, which further uh textually speaking points out how you could argue intertwined the lives of Romeo and Juliet are um the fact that Juliet says when he dies he'll become a beautiful star that all people will be so uh mesmerized by it makes me think of the prologue when they're referenced as star-crossed lovers um who take their life so I just want to point that out that before she learns all this information, she is saying all these, these words about Romeo before she learns that he's killed Tybalt. So yeah, then the nurse comes and she brings him ter- brings her terrible news that Tybalt is dead and Juliet is distraught. She's just beside herself. Um, the nurse is kind of annoying. She kind of takes a while to tell her that like, Tybalt's the one that's dead and Romeo is not. Uh, Juliet's like, what storm is this that blows so contrary? Is Romeo slaughtered and is Tybalt dead, my dearest cousin and my dearer lord? Um, For who is living if those two are gone? The nurse finally tells her, Tybalt is gone and Romeo is banished. Romeo that killed him, he is banished. He's exiled. He's left town. Um, So then Juliet turns a switch real quick she says to about Romeo she says oh serpent heart hid with a flowering face did ever dragon keep so fair a cave beautiful tyrant fiend angelical dove feathered raven wolvish ravening lamb despised substance of divinest show oh a damned saint an honorable villain um basically all these antithetical statements where how she's saying how could someone so evil be so beautiful so deceiving so deceptive of his 
malintent. And then she starts, like, turning her tune a little bit as she's, like, taking this information in. The nurse asks her, will you speak well of him that killed your cousin? And she asks herself rhetorically, shall I speak ill of him that is my husband? Ah, my poor Lord, what tongue shall smooth thy name when I, thy three hours wife, have mangled it? You guys, they've literally been married for three hours. Just want to throw that out there. So she says, oh my gosh, I just spoke terribly about my husband. I'm in this quandary. My cousin who I love is dead and my husband now has, is the one who has killed him. She ends the, uh, this longer monologue at the end of scene two where she says, Romeo is banished to speak that word is father, mother, Tybalt, Romeo, Juliet, all slain, all dead. So she's being quite dramatic. She's saying if Romeo's banished, he might as well be dead because I don't want to not be with him. Um, so then the nurse comforts her and she's like, go to your chamber. I'll find Romeo. I know where he is. He's hiding at Friar Lawrence's cell. This information is key. When Romeo kills Tybalt, where does he go? Friar Lawrence. So again, Friar Lawrence and the nurse are helping these two out. Um, because of what's happened. So you can judge whether or not their actions are true or not. But Romeo must feel safe with Friar Lawrence because that's where he goes first. And then Julia ends, Oh, find him. Give him this ring to my true knight and bid him come to take his last farewell. So she's like, go find him. Let him come to me before he has to leave at night so we can be together. So they can have their wedding night. Um... Yeah, a lot of turmoil in Juliet. You see the tension that she's been potentially living in even prior to Romeo of how to be a woman growing up, a young a young lady rather, growing up in this town where she doesn't feel like she has a lot of freedom um, or choice and this situation with Romeo really kind of brings that to light because she feels bound to him because she's married him now. Um, Which you can decide if that's honorable or not. Um, That's something I think Shakespeare wants to bring to the table. We end scene two with the nurse and Julia, and scene three shifts us into the cell with Friar Lawrence and Romeo. The Friar and Romeo are discussing the situation. The Friar tells Romeo that the prince has bestowed mercy upon Romeo in that he has not um, ordered him to die, but rather, uh, you know, exiled, banished him. Romeo reacts in a way that might rub you the wrong way he says there is no world without verona walls but purgatory torture hell itself essentially saying it is to it's like being dead if he has to be banished so he might as well be dead because he can't be with with juliet he says heaven is here where juliet lives um everyone may look upon her but romeo may not so he might as well be dead He actually, like, speaks, has some moments of, like, threatening to stab himself, has some self-harm moments. And the friar calls him out and was like, you should be grateful. 
you're a madman. Um, you should be listening to me. This is a gift. This is a token of mercy. You should be grateful that you're not actually dead right now. So they kind of like have this disagreement back and forth. Um, Romeo tells the friar, like, you can't tell me what I feel. Like if you were young as me and in love, you would say the same things. Um, and then as Romeo's saying that, they get interrupted because the nurse knocks on the door. And the nurse comes to tell tell Romeo that Juliet will be waiting for him tonight. And she gives Juliet's ring to Romeo. Um, so then they make a plan with the friar where uh, Romeo will you know, get to Juliet's chamber tonight so they can have their wedding night. And the friar warns or tells Romeo, you know, before it becomes morning, you need to leave her her place and go to Mantua where we will figure out how to get you back safely and get you back and maybe even get you pardoned by the prince. Um, But that some time will have to go by with you not being here. Um, so the friar has a lot of interesting things to say, um, as well as the nurse when they're kind of in argument with Romeo, the nurse points out to Romeo, uh, she says like, stop blubbering, like be a man basically and go see your wife, like stop moping about having to leave her. Like you should be glad you're still alive. The friar also appeals to these gender roles and he says, are you even a man? Thy form cries out, thou art, thy tears are womanish, thy wild acts denote the unreasonable fury of a beast, unseemly women in a seeming man and and ill-beseeming beast in seeming both, thou hast amazed me. Essentially like calling out Romeo's emotional impulsive statements and calling them womanly and like mad calling him mad so this is like a tricky thing in the play because in one respect I want to say the friar is right in like telling Romeo to be grateful that he's not actually dead and that the prince has bestowed some kind of mercy on him but at the same time because Romeo reacts in this violent way after just committing this violent act, um, to me, I think of that characteristically and I'm like, okay, Romeo must be dealing with some serious mental health stuff potentially that has not been resolved. It's been lingering for a long time, especially since he starts the play off in a really depressed state over Rosalind. Um, I don't feel comfortable like naming the mental health, but what it reveals is that Romeo has some stuff going on that he hasn't dealt with. And maybe the culture that he lives in with these gender roles um, has really not been supportive of that. And maybe Shakespeare's trying to bring to light uh, that problem. Um, Say what you want on that, but... I find it fascinating that Shakespeare even mentions those things in the scene. Okay, for the end of Act 3, I'm going to combine scene 4 and 5 since 4 is so short. 
so scene four is um, Lord Capulet in Paris discussing, and, and Lady Capulet discussing um, what's happening. And basically Lord Capulet commands that Paris marry Juliet on Thursday. Okay. The play is like, I believe, takes place under a week. So only within a few days. This is nuts, y'all. At the beginning, remember, her dad had made the remark to Paris to chill out and slow down. It is too soon to marry her. Like, she's barely, she's not even 14 yet. And here is Lord Capulet commanding that Paris marry Juliet. So Lady Capulet will talk to her, um, tell Juliet this news, and see what happens. Um... I think Lord Capulet is grieving because Tybalt just died, so he thinks that a marriage will bring everyone happiness, and it obviously feels very dramatic, um, and I really don't like her dad. Uh, it just shows more distancing between the two of them, that he thinks, like, oh, my daughter's life will make everyone happy, like, that's what matters the most. Not if my daughter is actually okay. So then it turns to, in scene five, Romeo and Juliet having their, their night together. And they're going back and forth, talking about how, oh my goodness, it's becoming more light. But more light and light, more dark and darker woes. Because once the morning comes, that means that he must leave. And Juliet, as... Romeo is leaving. Juliet has that ironic line where she says, Oh God, I have an ill divining soul. Methinks I see thee now thou art so low as one dead in the bottom of a tomb. Either my eyesight fails or thou lookest pale, which is ironic because we know that eventually they do die. Um, so again, here's them discussing their future fate um, of death. So they say have this tender moment of saying goodbye to each other. And then immediately um, the mom comes in and talks to Juliet. She's like, are you up? Why are you weeping? Um, the mom thinks she's still weeping over Tybalt's death. All of Juliet's responses go both ways because she is expressing that she is sad about Tybalt. But at the same time dramatic irony we know that she's also talking about having Romeo be gone um so then Lady Capulet breaks the news to her that she's gonna marry Paris on Thursday she gets pissed off she says I will not marry yet and when I do I swear it shall be Romeo whom you know I hate rather than Paris she is not revealing that she's already married but she's threatening to marry a Montague to reveal to her mom that she's pissed off that they would do this to her so she's using like the ultimate threat of like i'd even marry a montague over doing this the irony is she already is married to romeo and yet her family doesn't know that so her mom um shirks back in response she goes here comes your father you can tell him yourself see how he will take it and man does it go south so the father lord capulet gets really pissed at her because she's you know not refusing she's refusing to listen to her dad um and he's saying I've given you all this are you not grateful are you not you know proud to be a Capulet 
And then it turns into what I would call verbal abuse, where he basically threatens to disown her and leave her on the street to die. Young baggage, disobedient wretch. Um, He even regrets having her as a child. That he mentions, oh, God had lent us but this only child, but now I see this one is one too much and that we have a curse in having her. Uh, tells her some other terrible things. But again, this language of fate and destiny and cursing comes up again here with her dad speaking so poorly to Juliet. Not something you would want a father to tell a child. Um, Again, I think it's just Lord Capulet really distraught about Tybalt's death and that maybe this feud between the families has caused his his uh nephew to die and he's realizing that and that maybe he's culpable for all of these things happening to this younger generation but who does he take it out on juliet classic shakespeare move in revealing to us that the women always usually got the brunt of all of man men's anger which is not right, but that is typically what happens um, because they don't have as much power. So they leave and Juliet talks with the nurse and Juliet's like, what should I do? The nurse turns and she says, I think you should marry Paris. He's lovely. And this kind of like starts a wedge between the two of them because Juliet obviously disagrees And the nurse continues to say, I think you should do this. Um, You should marry Paris, which you could argue that the nurse is just looking out for Julia and saying, he'll take care of you. He's wealthy. She just wants what's best for her. Um, Maybe not what's most risky, but yet that's not what Juliet wants. So Juliet's obviously going to refuse that. So Juliet says, okay, tell my mom I'm going to go to Friar Lawrence's cell to have confession. Which, in reality, she wants to go to the friar to figure out what to do. Um, And the nurse leaves, and the last thing in Act 3 is Juliet saying, I'm going to go to the friar, he'll he'll know what to do. If everything, if all else fail, myself have power to die. Meaning, if everything else goes awry, which we know it eventually does, I have the power to kill myself. That's how Act 3 ends. Stay tuned for next time on what the rest of the play brings us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week on Teacher Talk. This is Ms. Fagdahl, out.